Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. All right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Robert Lauer. We're at his home in Salem. It's August 2nd, 2021. Thanks so much for joining us today, Robert. We appreciate this. Hey, my pleasure. Um, I'm glad to be a part of such a big project uh, amongst giants. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, first question to get us started is why wine? Uh, so for me, um, wine kind of started uh, with differentiating my time in port visits in the Navy from those of my other shipmates. So a lot of times, regardless of where you went, you'd have a big group of uh, the ship congregating just to the nearest bar uh, as soon as possible. To be fair, we were out there for quite a while, so no uh, disrespect to what people's interests are, but it really gave me a chance to kind of take a break from a lot of those folks and uh, really engage with the uh, countries that I was visiting. Um, and then, you know, from there, it, um, it, it stuck around even after the Navy. I, I was studying sciences with uh, a, an interest in medicine, but um, still cooking a lot. Well, when you get out of the Navy, you get a chance to have a stove in front of you. You're stoked and to be able to go to the grocery store and make it yourself rather than, you know, worry about the galley. And, um, so that cooking aspect uh, brought the wine into my life a little bit more uh, steadily. Um, and then um, it was really a phone call conversation that uh, ironically was what I would want to do with my career or life if I didn't have to worry about money. Uh, and wine was making wine in particular not necessarily just drinking wine, um, uh, was the immediate answer. And um, a Google search popped up UC Davis first. Um, and again, no discredit to the other programs at um, Cal Poly or Fresno. It was, it, it, it never even would, I didn't know that that was an option to go and study. Uh, so when I saw that it was there, I just immediately uh, changed my focus in uh, junior college to uh, get all the uh, credentials that I needed to transfer over there. Yeah. So that that was the, the impetus, and then it um, it's only spiraled out of control ever since. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, great about wine from my perspective is that uh, it keeps a constant engagement and it and it requires um, constant attention um, and I've learned that the easy way and the hard way through the different uh, mentors that I've had throughout my career um, ineffable was a word that uh, 
Ben Castile used, which was I thought that was so poignant, and uh, that's exactly it. You, you you can't really. It's not necessarily chasing the dragon, but uh, along those lines, where it's just you you're never gonna catch it, sort of thing. You're you're always seeking uh, to learn more and. Uh, quote unquote do better next year um, I know that this year is a great example but it's it's hard to say that this year is so much different as an example than the other years that especially in Oregon so. alright so we'll come back to that in a second I want to back up for a second and talk about kind of life before so tell sure. us about uh, upbringing where were you born where did you grow up and uh, and what did you do after high school yeah, so I'm from Michigan, uh, and uh, after after high school, and I guess to back up a little bit, um, the the agriculture aspect. Uh, I grew up in rural uh, Michigan, about an hour north of uh, Detroit, so definitely apple country, uh, definitely corn and row crop country. Um, my dad was in horticulture, more or less, uh, throughout his career. And so we had gardens. He was very passionate about growing flowers. Um, so it was, it was a lot of that. Uh, not necessarily was my interest, but um, it was always around. Mm -hmm. So I suppose now with the current project, I'm kind of hoping to live up to his <laughs> uh, make him proud as it were and um, after school um, I knew that I had to get a degree but I didn't know I didn't really have a, an aim for it um, which wasn't exactly helpful like I knew my parents would kill me if I didn't uh, have a degree and move forward with uh, school education so I could open up as many doors as possible but I didn't have um, something great in mind I was studying English but it was again at JC thankfully because I didn't want to waste a whole bunch of money at a, at a big university um, and so that's where I was working in just warehousing um, moving doors and like loading trucks for um, any of the Home Depot or Lowe's where you get all your trim and your doors and all that stuff um, so it was night shift and you know that got a little uh, drab <laughs> even though I felt you know super human because I could afford a, an apartment of my own and you know I could have my own car and great I suppose I could go to shows there in Detroit and that was cool um, but you know I didn't see I was working with people who were in their 40s and 50s doing the same job as me with you know telling me that you know what's what and where to go and uh, giving me advice but the advice it seemed to me was gonna end up right where I was and so uh, the Navy or the service was a an outlet and my my grandfather was in the Navy too so it was just kind of like carrying along those traits if you will um, and I knew it was going to expose me to a heck of a lot more of the world than my 
car would have, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, so that brought me through uh, into the Navy and, you know, exposing you to so many different walks of life, I think is, um, is a huge benefit for any of the youth, of, especially of America, but like, I can't just speak for America, for the, for the world, like, when you're stuck in rural Michigan, you're not engaging with the people from Kentucky or Georgia or California or Nebraska or any of the above. And so getting those different points of view and not just having the, the movies tell you or your books tell you what it's like over in these places, it, uh, it made a big difference. And certainly getting the chance to visit uh, other countries and um, see that you know bringing back to the wine thing that it was a it was a more a cultural thing than than necessarily a um a um, economic uh thing that it can be where it's like we're making wine for the elite or the people who can afford it versus the people that can't afford it um in south america in particular i was finding that it was it was more of a cultural aspect like you were out there working the land and uh, you were with your family a lot more and it was just something to have at the table that uh, was different than water. And the more I researched, obviously, it was, you know, that was the genesis of wine in the first place. So it, it really resonated with me that that was um, what I enjoyed about the, the product. Because I didn't, we didn't have wine at the table. Um, most of the family get together get togethers would involve cocktails and beer um and at the time i mean craft beer wasn't even a thing so we're talking the beer that ironically now i i find very refreshing after a long day in the the vineyard but at the time i was like you know there's no nuance to this at all and i don't understand the draw but you know is what it is so you mentioned kind of discovering wine through the Navy. Uh, tell me about, do you remember any of your sort of initial wine experiences or were, were there were there moments that wine st started to resonate for you? Uh, well, particularly in, in South America, um, but also in Australia um, was where I was in. Those were both were the, because I couldn't find wine in Brazil and um, let's see, in Bahrain, they didn't have a wine culture or anything like that. And like when I was in Seattle, uh, that wasn't what I was <laughs> interested in. <laughs> so going to um, Chile um, in particular, which was cool to have um, it all circle around and then to be working this last harvest uh, with the Chilean, right? And um, folks from Chile and having that uh, bigger perspective because I, I didn't know and funny enough I, I couldn't tell you the winery that I visited it was just part of the tour mm -hmm. that was offered um, but um, it, it again just resonated me with me that it had a bigger feel to it and then in Perth um, it just felt a little bit uh, less about going and getting drunk at the bar it felt more like I was 
uh, interacting with uh, the community and interacting with locals in a way that um, was certainly more uh, responsibly social than just uh, a fly-by-night. And it, it's cool with um, the Navy, you normally just remember the good things anyway. I mean, there was plenty of bad things. I mean, I'm not telling you the stories of cleaning the bathrooms that you had to do and stuff like that. You just remember these highlights that that really stick with you uh, and help shape like how you would want to engage with visitors. Because being in the the wine industry we work with a heck of a lot of folks coming from all works right and a lot of them when they're coming from overseas they're they're trying to be just as open as anything and if you're engaging with them um in a manner that isn't close to hospitable like they're going they're coming back to their country saying that was a horrid waste of time and i will never go back to Oregon or California or the U.S. again because of that. Mm -hmm. um, that means a lot to me to engage with those, um, I guess, visitors uh, and represent what, uh, not necessarily what our country can be, but what what we can be as a as a whole populace. So you mentioned earlier that it was kind of a kind of a. A phone call question that that offered you this this, this notion of going into winemaking. What was your concept of winemaking at that point? Had you been had you been exposed to what winemaking actually was at that point? <laughs> at that point, um, I was in San Diego, and uh, while I had visited uh, Temecula um, and participated in, there was a. A festival where you could stomp the grapes, and uh, we took a picture, and you know, and like that—that that was the extent of it. I didn't, I had no clue how the grape was grown, uh, other than seeing that there was vineyards in neat rows that looked uh, very unique to my orchard views of uh, agriculture or fruit growing if you will mm -hmm. um, so it was and I hadn't, I hadn't met a winemaker I started studying uh, wine tasting and like the different uh, regions uh, where wine was grown and made um, and <laughs> More often than not, I was met with pretentiousness uh, that definitely uh, steered the ship away from the Psalm route and the whole um, service industry because of this, that, that weird covetous sense of knowledge that I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around. And like, because it seemed like, um, that was really what was uh, keeping people away from wine. Mm -hmm. That sense of um, all the quote-unquote work that it takes into studying it and understanding it, and like it's it's such a you know complex beverage and all of that stuff that you know when I would come home to visit in Michigan, people would just be. Uh, 
throw up their arms and think that I was a snob or something like that, which was the furthest from the truth um, when it was just kind of being uh, intimidated by that uh, block of knowledge that didn't necessarily need to be that way. Um, so it was, I, w I would argue, I guess, a more romantic notion of just being able to eventually be the artist that I didn't think I could be through um, music or painting or uh, writing. Mm -hmm. And looking back on that, I, I still think that that is the true art. And then what I'm doing is um, now a lot more agricultural based rather than ego based. Um, which has made a big difference in my career as well. Um, and I think that, that came from studying at Davis and understanding a lot more science about it and getting, the more you get your hands dirty with it, the more you realize that it's, it's, it's a lot more about the work than it is about um, the ego of it or the, um, you know, cult of personality. If you will. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about UC Davis a little bit. Obviously, uh, you mentioned it was kind of the first thing you found when you studied for wine education. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your experience there. What was your first impression of it, and, and and how did it go for you there? Oh man, I I um I still remember being accepted, and like I my grades were good, and I I just never saw myself as getting into the uh, fine science college or you know I, I never imagined I would get into Michigan or something like that because I just didn't uh, my high school wasn't you know I, I wasn't as focused in high school but you know once I got really engaged with what I wanted to do I went full bore and so like there was kind of no stopping and I just kept 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 going and kept uh, trying to gain more knowledge and figure out how to get in and how to and so then when I get there at first I'm just awestruck because it's such a different world coming from um, the little JC's in San Diego which were great and definitely my speed where like the classrooms were certainly smaller and um, I never would have gotten through the calculus or the physics of those, uh, you know, the requirements mm -hmm. had it not been for that. Like, because now here I am in Davis uh, sitting next to people doing the pre-med go and I'm, you know, <laughs> that's not... I, I was just uh, alarmed that uh, <laughs> we're in those same classes and I'm very intimidated, very intimidated just for how how large it was. And I just d definitely felt out, out of my element. Um, what was good about it was that my interest was still viticulturally uh, focused because again, everything that I was reading and anybody that was trying to advertise wine, they just kept saying it was about the soil, kept saying about the vineyard, kept saying it was about 
this weird T word, uh, you know, and just kept going on with the that notion that I said, well, I have to figure that out then. And so immediately rolled into soil sciences and took all the the VIT classes that I could find because with the program as an undergrad it's kind of split in three kind of because there's a lot of overlap but it's it's like either you're you're going the enology route the VIT route or the business route right and the you you can pepper in uh, language in there um, and I mean, you, you still have electives to do just like any place, but I knew that I wanted to focus the, the hardest on the, the VIT science because I, I think that that's what um, I was naturally gravitated towards anyway. Mm-hmm. It seemed um, all the other uh, analogy courses were a lot more in the lab chemistry based and not that it wasn't a strong suit, it just wasn't a strong inclination. I just felt a little bit more at home studying the ampelography and then like figuring out, okay, well, this uh, green bean plant grown in these different soils uh, is growing this way and why is that? And that sort of laboratory uh, analysis was was a lot more interesting. and then again the intimidation you know i'm there and when uh peterson edry's there in her grad program and wicked smart and just quick as a whip right and knew everything about winemaking already and i'm like okay well uh she's not gonna give me a job and (laughs) um so it just uh it steered the ship in that direction a lot more um and i was thankful too to have those uh grads grad students in the program too because they most of them uh, shed a little bit more light on the industry as a whole um because they had been uh a harvest or two or obviously in wind's case she grew up with it um but it it brought more perspective uh, to what I could uh, expect and what what my goals could be. Um, in addition to that, I had the good fortune to get hired as a wine steward in Sacramento um, for an awesome little shop, 58 Degrees in Holding, which I, I, I think is still there and um, you know, when I was in California working, I, every time you went to uh, the Unified thing, it was always cool to stop in, and um, the wine buyer was there uh, for quite a while. I, again, I don't, I'm not sure if he's still there, but it's, it's such a huge education, a definite contrast. And like, I had been studying and fumbling through my through the shelves with finding either the coolest bottle that would impress my date or or the bottle that I couldn't pronounce that I had found in the book on what to eat with what you drink and so forth. And I was like, a chapless, what is that? And I couldn't find it. And then coming there, um, it really was a big eye-opener about not only uh, what these regions actually represented in the marketplace for you know a basic sales sense of thing but also 
those taste profiles were really uh, profound to me. Um, and uh, my roommates, too, were huge enophiles and, like, always bringing different bottles around. And, and it, was a, it was an enormous education outside of the classroom walls uh, where I was too nervous about getting the right grade so I would just finish school so that I could get a job. It was some of those things it's funny you you, you almost take them for granted because uh you're there to get the degree uh to make sure you're not wasting money or whatever um but in hindsight that that some of those times were the bigger education pieces because I still have all the science books and so forth and like half of them I don't even use you know like I know where to reference stuff and there's good reference material but uh it's it's interesting what you take away and how how the enormous stress of importance is put on some of these uh, aspects of the curriculum which is great because I, I I still think it's a, a place to learn how to learn not necessarily what to learn um because un putting a lot of those pieces together uh, made a big difference about how I engage and problem solve. Mm -hmm. um, so the big, the big thing was like, oh, well, Fresno will teach you how to do the hands-on and Davis will teach you how to uh, research. And I'm thankful for that uh dichotomy um because it does show you like some people they fall into the fresno program for the same reason right because they saw it on a google search and that's where they ended up or they grew up around that area and that's where they ended up and like more power to them but other people maybe they are more inclined to the hands-on and learning that way and other people are more academically inclined and I just made sure that in my career, once I got out, that I focused on the hands-on. Because there's a lot of people that can get stuck in the academics too. And I knew that I didn't want to be um, lost in that. Uh, just constant research and trying to, like, there's so much research that I do on a day-to-day -day basis anyway with hands-on learning that, um, I knew that that's why I wanted to do winemaking in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned sort of viticulture as your as your target area from the beginning. Um, with your background, was there was there anything? Were you prepared for viticulture as opposed to other kinds of agriculture, <clears throat> or was there a big difference that you had to learn about growing grapes versus growing other kinds of crops? That's a great question and, and a very important question. I think um, not coming from how I approach viticulture now versus uh, my understanding then, it's, it's all based on other pieces of agriculture. I, I um, I'd definitely studied a lot about grapevines and everything, but man did I have the blinders on and uh, I don't in hindsight I, I wish that I had just not even taken the wine studies and just done an agronomy focus 
Um, but I mean, you know, to rewind the clock and tell my younger self, sort of thing. Um, uh, but it it all it all adds up. You know, I I wouldn't have gotten to. Like I said at the beginning, like it, you keep chasing and you keep engaging, and you as long as you're focused in the work, like these doors just keep opening up. Um, and so I didn't, I certainly didn't have an understanding of growing fruit coming from Michigan, which is again ironic because Michigan State is a huge, huge educational resource where and just wonderful to this day. I use them a lot. Um, so it's a it's a little unfortunate because I, again, like I was surrounded by it, mm-hmm. but obviously the row crops aren't quite as um, applicable, but they are in the sense of soil and the sense of what you're trying to create as a healthy ecosystem. Um, I think all of the the agriculture is is a is a better course of study than um what my blind vision of uh viticulture mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. i mean it's it's unique obviously in its own right for how the bud development being you know primary secondary and tertiary that doesn't that isn't in in all fruit crops and you know how how we manage it and trellis it and that's unique in its own right, but um, you know I've I've taken so much more from palm fruit growing, cannabis growing, you know, vegetable growing, and just sense of in the sense of like a healthy plant rather than a healthy vine, um, and certainly oh got rid of the whole notion of the stressed vines make fine wines uh, dogma that has haunted our industry uh, for the longest time for whatever reason and I I can only trace back to the same uh, mentality that the service industry seems to have about this sort of like covetous sense of knowledge um, it uh it has nothing to do with uh, how I engage with a vineyard now and how I think about uh, biospheres, I guess, would be a good word for it. And like these little parts of cities of microbes and cities of life that are, sur- are pockets throughout um, a canopy, throughout the soil profile, all of those uh, aspects of it, um, I'm remiss that I was wasn't uh, interested in other uh, parts of agriculture. And I mean, you go to Davis, and I'm sure it's probably the same at Linfield, but like stacks and stacks and stacks of books, and like all dedicated to wine studies and you walk in there and you think that you're like you're in the mecca of it and like you're like whoa if i could just read all of these and not sleep then i would know and like <laughs> again it's a, a youthful and, and sense of things so now that i've got some years behind it that now i can 
you know, have a little bit more confidence that I'm I'm on a better train of thought. So what comes next after Davis? So, uh, well, so I did the transfer program. So it was only two years that I was there. Um, my, the summer of 08, I had the good fortune to, again, get the, the VIT side of um, the internship at Mum Napa. There was uh, three spots and two of them. One in the cellar, one in the lab, and then one in the, uh, one in the field. <laughs> and I remember uh, my other classmates, they, <laughs> they thought they were the cat's meow because they got the, the uh, cellar and lab position. And I was like, I, I didn't even try for those. I didn't, I, oh, well, it pays more. I don't care and like that that's what uh so i had the awesome fortune to work with um doug springer uh who was the grow relations manager for mom napa and my job was to scout the Twenty different vineyard sources uh, throughout the Carneros and Napa region of uh, uh, their holdings, and that was amazing. Uh, just gave me an opportunity to be out there in the early morning, uh, try to understand more about ripening patterns, and especially understand how those patterns were going to affect the programs that they had for their many tiers of sparkling wines. Um, really didn't, I mean, I brought the samples back to the lab and learned how to work some of their equipment, but there was so many bells and whistles in there that it was like, you know, half the time you weren't you were pressing a number or pressing a button and it would spit out the results for you like there were there were titrations but it was so codified and there was a lot more it felt like i was at a medical facility and i i, I mean to be fair i mean it's a big company and it's a part of a bigger company and so like there's a lot that goes into it but um it wasn't it was it was an immediate kind of like ooh, back up like I I don't even understand how this machine works let alone how the the different points of analysis are adding up to this point I just was really excited about well how are we getting these crop levels to where we want them to be and then how are we managing these vines with our spray program in order to get us to our goals uh, when I have this challenging grower over here who's not meeting his goals and like how's that affecting our relationship with them and you know oh we lost that contract so where are we going to pick up more fruit and all of those questions were a lot more fascinating to me and while it was only a summer that really started the ball rolling and like 
dream job is grow relations dream job is grow relations that's great you know and so it was just drilled in my head about like how do i engage different vineyards and how are they those relationships so important to a brand profile and like it seemed like doug was the the underdog too like while people were fussing over you know why the this wine and this blend is going to be this way and no no i want it this way and all those different arguments like we were our own entity all itself and it was it was really rewarding to have that kind of mentorship without mm, any of the noise that um is really a part of those businesses and that i i just had the uh, good fortune to not really be a part of because again a lot of um what I knew for myself is that if I was going to work for a bigger company, I knew I was going to get pigeonholed. I knew I was going to get stuck mm -hmm. in some warehouse, humping hoses, splashing water around, getting into a tank. Um, and I knew that was going to happen anyway. So why pigeonhole myself into those things? Um, so at the graduation or before that is when all the jobs get posted for wine jobs and all the internships and we're all vying for the same positions and like jockeying for it. And like, here I am with <laughs> barely an understanding, let alone, um, a background let alone contacts or, you know, ins or anything like that. Um, and so got turned down for a couple different uh, internships, reached out for Spain, tried for that. They, nope, nope, wasn't going to have it. Um, luckily got a, uh, a nod from William Selium. Um, and... Um, that still to this day is one of the fondest memories that I have. I, I put it as, I hate to put things on pedestals or try to make them too precious or something like that, but memories are memories, right? And like, we're allowed. <laughs> so like, that has always been like my benchmark for how the interactions were with the team and um, all works of life. We had folks coming from... <clears throat> Australia, New Zealand, England, um, where else? we had a Frenchie that came in there. Um, so, and it wasn't necessarily about that. It was more like, these guys are this interested in Pinot, just like, oh, and you know what? I, sh I I'm remiss. I, the reason for going to uh, William Selium was just that was one of the the many in the Sonoma area in particular that I had um, kind of uh, honed in on after selling wine in Sacramento uh, about where where I would think I would learn the most mm -hmm. or could engage with the most level of um quality 
that I was finding in the in the bottles that one people were buying and two that were engaging me mm-hmm. um, I didn't I didn't catch on to the the cab scene or the and even the Napa scene the Napa scene seemed just over the top to me um, and I I was barely able to put gas in my car let alone drive a fancy one you know and uh those those aspects of it just made napa seem so far-fetched to me um that i it just i never really went down that rabbit hole of the the heavier wines or the um that style of things um and uh you know there's there's great places in there too like uh working at mum opened my eyes to like the dunn family and like how how cool their uh story was and how authentic their product was but they were so boutique that it was those things it seemed to me well i don't have the contacts for that <laughs> and i don't have the family ties with that and any of those smaller ones that like we were we all knew about Screaming Eagle we all knew about Harlan but it was like man the small kid from Michigan is and maybe I was selling myself short but I just rather engaged in the the Pinot and Chard world because it seemed a a little bit more uh, communal to me and visiting the area it just seemed more more my speed let's say um and uh again lucky to to have gotten that i mean there was uh 13 of us i I believe um but uh folks from oregon as well and um it uh it was so rewarding to work with that many people with and that was my first go and so I, I'm the guy going, which one is Citric and which one is Proxy? You guys keep saying these words, but I don't, uh, what's the difference? And like, well, it's the one that looks like Citric. And I'm like, come on here, you know? And didn't you go to Davis? And I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I end up being the, the last man standing uh, and stay until February. Um, of the following year which again very rewarding experience to be able to carry a lot of that uh, all the way from grape to bottle um, and um, get a bigger understanding and at the time uh, William Sellium was going through its own kind of changes they were they were moving into the new facility that they had just bought and um, expanding and looking into more vineyard sourcing so there was there was a lot of um, movement going on Um, I think Bob Cabral was thinking about his future as well um, and what he wanted to do outside of William Selliam and that was eye-opening too because here I am the guy um, at any point being like you know I volunteer as tribute okay just give me the job Uh, it's it's fine 
it doesn't matter i'll clean all the tanks i just want the job and he's the pinnacle of it and already oh already had been there long enough that he's thinking about changing gears and um that that was a little bit of a eye opener that like okay i don't need to chase after this uh status quo of what these uh the labels that come with job titles uh seemed to be so like uh covetous again like oh well you're not anybody unless you're the cellar master or you're not anybody unless you're the enologist because that's how you make it to assistant winemaker and then that's the only way you can make it to winemaker like all of that stuff seemed to go a little bit out the window and be like you know it's not it each different uh company has its own set of needs for personnel and uh that's not the titles aren't necessarily going to matter as much as the work mm-hmm. and having the right people in place to make the work sound so the people could make better decisions right um so then after William Selium was uh New Zealand and oh my god uh thinking back on it now uh I don't wish 14-hour plane rides on anybody. <laughs> I don't care how many movies they show. <laughs> I don't care how many free beers you get. My goodness, that's a long plane ride. Um, and then to come there and... Uh, so I was in central Otago at um, Shard Farm. And uh, that was also a luck by total luck so the guy uh that i was working with he had went there the last harvest and uh kind of recommended me um and i was so i was so nervous about it like the question the interview question was well what kind of wine do you like to drink and i'm like oh i'm I'm really into Riojas lately and I love how it's distinct and it's character driven and then no response and I'm like oh shit <laughs> he thinks that I just like oxidized wines made from Tempranillo and all these other obscure varieties that have nothing to do with Centro Otago he's totally thinking I'm a joke and that's crazy and it, it couldn't be further from the truth again like again I volunteer as tribute please just pick me <laughs> I just want a job and uh, it just mattered that you were interested and passionate you know and in, and engaged um, and uh, like out there they it's it's tough to find help in central Otago like it's the sheep do a lot more in the vineyard than they do in the cellar right and so like <laughs> finding that help for that short amount of time is usually difficult um so uh got a chance uh got down there and um again totally different world and um (laughs) it's one of those things where like normally you're paying attention to your boss who's telling you to clean this tank or move this there or whatever but i'm just lost in the 
epic nature of the landscape. And I'm like, you, you said what? And uh, I had never been exposed to anything that close. Like, I really liked Sonoma, and I liked, you know, the pretty vineyards and the rolling hillsides that would be out there and Napa the same. But my goodness, what New Zealand has to offer is, you know, obviously second to none. Um, and that was really jaw dropping. Um, and the facility there was uh, <laughs> on a cliff. Uh, and it's where they had the first bungee jumping. Uh, over there and um, just very like you're driving up the road and like man you better be spit sober on that because one wrong move and you're over the cliff right uh, so that that was really cool and just like whoa we are on the edge of it and you, you read about this and you see them in books but just to experience that and it was also mm, it was a very small team it was a team of four of us and uh you know at the end of the day they went home and i stayed and so it's like me to my lonesome until uh so the other four was ariel from um yeah valley yeah um and so you know quickly fast friends because like we're the only ones out there and we're just stuck there together um and uh you know all you had to do was go wander the estate vineyard, you know, um, try to learn all the different barrels that they're using down in the cellar. And um, that was my first foray into stacking barrels rather than using racks or equipment or anything like that. We had an elevator that uh, led the barrel <laughs> down this shaft and you'd be down in the depths of the cellar and you'd have to wheel them around and chalk them and we had to uh use a chalk line to get them just so and three barrels high and you're just like whoa whoa this is a different level but again authentic winemaking and i had no idea i'm thinking to myself man why did you guys make it so labor intensive like this is this seems like why didn't you put a door over here? <laughs> but, um, you know, open my eyes to like, make your space work and um, utilize uh, what's available rather than like pushing, uh, I suppose, uh, an agenda or a presumed sense of uh, how to do things. Um, John Wallace was, uh, was great he was another one another eye-opener like been there for years and was just like eh, i'm trying to think about what else to do and i'm like what you're the head of the show this is what i'm trying to be um dude is so much more passionate about making beer that harvest uh than he was about doing what he had been doing year after year by a sort of playbook mm -hmm. to uh, their style and he knew the vineyards and we went there and visited them and um, he knew the growers but it was it wasn't his he it's it's not that he lost his passion but he just had a different train of thought that I hadn't caught up to 
Um, so to me, I was like, no way, this is amazing. And they were working with biodynamic growers, and which I had only heard about and thought, like, tried to delve deep into, but just got confused and didn't understand, like, well, how is that going to help with your disease pressure? And how is that going to help with all these different situations when you just have this kind of dogmatic sense of this ethereal whimsy of trying to, you know, uh, coax the best out of these vines. And I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And, um, and it wasn't touched upon either. It, it's not like Shard Farm was the Felton Road where that was their kind of guiding ethos and their guiding marketing strategy or so like uh, I was like well I gotta figure out how to work over there and work somewhere like that and like started diving deep into what Litteri was doing and Ted Lemon and like um, that was one of those names that again are these like pillars of the industry and like John knew him and um, everybody knew these kind of who's who's and like I was linking them to these practices which in hindsight it couldn't be further from the truth like it it's it, it was such a marketing ploy again for this covetousness of knowledge to be kind of trickled down to us youngsters to make us to still give us the um, kind of romantic vision of it, and uh, ironically, I've never lost the romantic vision, but I've <laughs> I have my eyes open a little bit more to uh, how these uh, marketing shifts can influence a lot of um, how the populace envisions uh, wine. Um, because now taking away a lot of those practices, like I can utilize them a lot more and understand like, well, if I engage with silica during these moon oppositions, right, during the June and July time period, well, that's helping me combat powdery mildew, right? And like, it has nothing to do with getting out there and doing a chant and being the, you know, uh, kind of this dogmatic follower of, uh, or disciple of Rudolf Steiner. Like, all of those things are, are great bodies of knowledge if you know how to use them. Otherwise, it, it just, it seemed like a story that I was being told to, from the same people who were trying to tell me that this wine is so much better than that wine, regardless of what your taste is. It's commonly known, so you should know this. Okay. <laughs> um, so that, that was good to open my eyes to that, and the Cellar Master was on point, too. Austin Black... Um, he he knew his stuff in and out and <laughs> funny enough he was saying that um the reason he got the gig was one that he had come from working in burgundy and two he knew how to run a cross flow and 
uh, I see their cross flow, and it's just this mess of valves that he's running in front of me and telling me, and then you do this, and then you move this, and then you move this, and I'm like, are you kidding? I barely know how to take care of the tank. <laughs> All of this, like, oh, man. Um, and it's so funny now that I work with Crossflow and uh, do it kind of as a part of my living and know how, know the ins and outs and know how to break them and uh, <laughs> know how to make sure that uh, cider is correct so that I don't break them. But that's jumping ahead. Um, so yeah, uh, after Shard Farm, it was uh, what I've what I've always found myself in is shotgun approaching my next move, <clears throat> and then uh, zeroing in on that, and then. Uh, feeling like I should have done that and overthinking all of it through the next course of my uh, uh, adventures and going oh man I should have picked that and I show I get accepted for the literary position and the antiquitera position and then um, am on holiday in Hawaii and randomly get a call from Steve Stores in Santa, Santa Cruz based on uh, just needing something to do in during the summer and having a friend in Davis who always said that Santa Cruz was a gas so like you gotta get there and like never having the opportunity because it was too far south mm -hmm. which is crazy I mean the car still worked uh, so I could have driven there but uh uh, I was just going to work in the tasting room and uh, he needed somebody in the cellar and saw my credentials and uh, was like, man, I, you should come and just do my guy's leaving because he's taking on his own project and uh, it's just me, my wife and you. Uh, <laughs> I got two guys in the <clears throat> vineyard with me um, and they're kind of my hands on with that but I have no help in the, the cellar um, and I'm like oh, well, I already committed to uh, Ted over at uh, Litter I had met him over at um, Burn Cottage and um, while I was there at Shard Farm and I was over the moon thinking that like here's my gateway here's how I'm gonna get into becoming the the who's who of the wine industry and knowing all of the secrets of how to make the the best wines in the world and like um ironically though those literally those wines weren't my favorite wines they were they were what i was told to to like and told to say that and it funny enough uh now the reason i was told that because Ted's brilliant, not from my perspective, necessarily with the winemaking, but the quote unquote wine growing mm -hmm. and learning, understanding how to take care of a farm ecosystem and trying to integrate that into his life goals. That's what made him so unique. And that's what made him such a, a pillar of our industry to this day. 
um, and something to aspire to. Um, and then uh, on the flip side, Maggie Harrison, who uh, to this day is an icon and also a pillar of inspiration. Um, and not to digress too much, but you know, here in Oregon, I I hear smatterings of her her kind of breadcrumbs of practices touted as their ethos and it's like that was just like a <laughs> off the cuff sort of like practice and like it wasn't her main thing it was an overarching sense of how she engages with a project mm -hmm. that makes the most difference in uh, the wines that I always have been in reverence of and I didn't I still to this day I, I don't know if it's the rocks that she's putting in there or snipping the berries or the time that she takes into it but I'm guessing that it's all of the above as just the dedication to again the work um, and uh, Ted's the same way and so I I figured <laughs> that I could engage with Storrs Winery in much the same fashion and you know taking on a project with uh, eight to ten thousand cases annually <clears throat> uh, let alone uh, to have vintages uh, going back from five years ago that we were trying to work into a program and figuring out <laughs> where they went in the marketplace that was a huge amount of work I mean you should be sweating over across the way just thinking about it because I'm like whoa I, I, I don't know the style to begin with let alone uh, where the direction the train is headed um, and at the time uh, Steve and Pam they were um really focused on getting a, an estate winery built on their property in Aptos. So that took up an awful a lot amount of their time. And so here I am with, you know, dozens upon dozens of barrels, you know, ranging from any different numbers of chemistries and styles and focus and all that stuff and you know coming off of uh, my time at William Selium and Shard Farm I was you know the cockiest guy in the on the street and I was like I got it and you know here we go I'll run all the analysis and I'll know all my numbers uh, through and through and you know what I can I can make it and I uh, you know tasted some of the wines I'm like great super duper had no idea what you know Santa Cruz mountains represented had no idea what uh, how those vineyards differentiated themselves from others let alone how vastly vastly different each of those Santa Cruz mountains were from each other um, and that was a real gut check about you know a year into it going man I'm not engaging this certainly not like how these guys are that are getting scores here's 
Reese right in our quote-unquote backyard doing these really cutting-edge things that I couldn't I couldn't touch um, another guy who was putting microchips in his bottles and uh, all of that stuff where I'm like whoa I'm not I'm not even cl close to that level let alone the hallmarks of Mount Eden and Ridge who have just steadfast kept us stoked about Santa Cruz Mountains and California wine in general um, for decades, you know, to this day. It was really exciting to see um, Mount Eden become, become or be included in the whole uh, Dry Roots Coalition just because it was like, here I am uh, touting the, how cool the Santa Cruz Mountains were to people in Oregon and people like, okay, sure, whatever, it's still California to me, Robert. Like, whatever. <laughs> They're great. You don't know. And then, like, we try the bottles and, oh, that's totally Primox. And I would try another one and it's like, no, that's their style, man. And, like, no, you don't know. Like, okay, They're pretty cool, I think. So... Um, thankfully, I I stayed long enough to to get more vintages under my belt. But the young and stupid still chasing the dollar rather than the uh, goal of the work. I mean, there was plenty of work. Don't get me wrong. Like it was all there, and um, I just <laughs> Santa Cruz is rather expensive to live. And um, I didn't, I couldn't see past my blinders of like, how the hell am I going to get ahead? Like, my car is about to die, and I don't even know how I'm going to buy a new one. And they're going to move a half hour away to make the wine. I don't know how I'm going to make it there. Oh, man, I'm confused here. Wine job, wine job, wine jobs, and... Uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. And so if, if there's one takeaway from that is like, that's part of the grind too, of understanding that you're gonna continually be turned down and you're never going to live up to half of the people that um, you think you are on par with. Um, and it's not a competition, it's just like, finding your groove and finding your fit and funny enough stores, stores was such a good fit uh, but I couldn't see it and I can only see it kind of now because of the position that I'm currently in and how similar it is um, <clears throat> so I um, had a little bit of the good fortune to get a um, vineyard tech or um assistant PCA, uh, pest control advisor position with um, a company down in uh, the Santa Barbara, San Ynez area, uh, Santa Rita Hills, uh, Lompoc, oh my god. To any of you listeners, don't go to Lompoc. <laughs> Depressing is, a, is the, big, the, the best word to use for What's ironically making some 
really, really interesting wines. <laughs> Just where they're making it and where you have to set up shop is horrendously depressing. <laughs> luckily, Santa Barbara was only a half hour away and luckily I was in the vineyards a lot more rather than in a cellar. Um, so that was a whole whirlwind of um, education piece. And wow, that down there is pushing a heck of a lot of envelopes and atoning for uh, <laughs> um, sins of uh, years past. Um, but th that pioneering spirit and that real dedication to a craft and really like shotgunning approach uh i can only tip my hat to that um because it's not that they didn't have the knowledge or didn't have the wherewithal it was they had the guts to really um put it out there and uh kind of learn from those mistakes and kind of engage it further and um you know, Pierce's disease is down there, and there's a lot of phylloxera, and there's just all any number of different problems that, again, I read about and was told and showed slides in Davis, and just going, oh, we definitely got to stick to these rootstocks then, or you know, which is all like that. That's just what's leading to the problem, right? Is like that blind mentality that it's because it has this susceptibility or that susceptibility and has this range that seems to be okay that we can engage with which is uh now from where i'm coming from is totally uh not how i would want to engage a project and totally not how i would want to learn from an area um but they had um plenty of cool vineyards and uh plenty of like hallmark vineyards and you know, getting to work, uh, be out there on the Domaine de la Cote's uh, place. Like, just again, kind of jaw-dropping uh, how um, the views from there and understanding, okay, we're, we're making these tiny vines and we're trying to engage with this in the quote-unquote Burgundian model based on uh, a lot of uh, heads of state being obsessed with <laughs> the Burgundian model um, and that, that was really rewarding to see how um, Chris King who's the viticulturist for them how he was engaging with uh, those projects uh, regardless of how uh, how many hairs he was pulling out to just manage them you know uh, that was uh, eye opening from a guy who definitely has a green thumb and definitely knew what he was doing to be like uh, this one is going to be a, a doozer you know how am I going to do this to make Sashi happy I don't know here we go um, those sorts of things were were cool to 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 see and interact with um but you know those big companies too they they have all different aspects and like you're trying to figure out well you're making biodynamic wine or 
growing biodynamic uh, grapes here, and then you're doing organic here, and then you're doing sustainable here. And again, that that going back to that goal of like grow relations is the coolest job on earth. Grow relations, right? Just getting an eye out for wow, you really need to engage with all of these growers differently and a lot of it is economics and a lot of it is just you know steadfast this is the way it is and this is the way i've been doing it and like these dogmatic rhythms and looking at these things from more kind of marketing aspects rather than the maybe health of the ecosystem that is your vineyard um but in in all of that in between so that that was that was a huge education piece uh sadly it wasn't in the best place to (laughs) to you know set up shop um and uh went home for the holidays uh that that winter and uh just trying to collect thoughts and collect you know what where am i going to focus and what where where do i want to stake a claim and um you know uh how so again wine jobs wine jobs wine jobs how <laughs> rejection 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 um keep dri- grinding 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 and uh in between that stop at my uh where I had grown up picking apples uh, and eating donuts and having pumpkins and, you know, kind of, uh, (laughs) as a high school, you knew where to go and find beer and have a party or whatever. And um, lo and behold, what are they doing? They're they're starting a quote-unquote, what they have wine here, and they're starting a program. And, you know, I, I, I... here for a while I wonder if they need a hand and, uh, they were at the very very beginning of it and uh, like based out of a, a barn a small barn that was parceled off because the third generation uh, just couldn't get over the desire to make booze in the bathtub at Michigan State right and so convinced uh dad and uncle to uh, that he could get a program going and uh do it and uh it's funny when you the further you uh try to convince them to do that and then they let you go with that the more you realize that you don't know what you've gotten yourself into at all there's so much more of the business that you didn't even see coming and this was this is right from my perspective at the beginning of the um, hard cider uh, growth or focus, I guess. Because, I, I mean, we had the Angry Orchard um, and the other sugary pop drinks that were called hard cider that um, we all knew about um, but certainly weren't engaging with. Um, we would be too busy trying to make the best IPA from these clever ingredients and uh, this foreign hop that's going to make the difference in uh, my beer versus your beer and you know um, and having fun with that and really like oh um, 
not necessarily learning how to grow it, but okay, this is a fun project and like, you know, um, this is a cool way to have my own kind of harvest party of my, you know, and I've been home brewing. I got a, uh, second place at a Santa Cruz, uh, homebrew competition and felt super duper about myself and my five gallon carboy and, you know, <laughs> uh, all the <laughs> different cleaning methods to do that and learning about st sterilizing stuff and understanding, you know, how important, but not really like, you know, why is pH so unique in the beer world versus the the wine world just having an under uh, like uh, more focused view of that and growing that body of knowledge um so i was like yeah i can totally <laughs> help you out with your cider program <laughs> um i gotta go to the library you guys uh, I'll, I'll meet you back here tomorrow monday monday morning how's that and uh just um, engaged as uh, engaged it as a white wine and said you know what I'll just make this the best white wine I could possibly make lo and behold it's the simplest white wine I could ever think of making um, in part because of the ingredients but at the time I'm like what are you talking about ingredients I got 40 plus different varieties out here in this orchard like, I'm bound to find something interesting in it. Well, <laughs> that's true in one sense, but also, like, those 40 different varieties are really just part of uh, two of four different kinds of apples, right? You know, you got your sharps and your sweets. You know, there's no bitter anywhere in there unless you got a bag of powder, right? And um, I didn't, uh, the bullhead in me could just refuse to accept that because what was great about working in there was it started the eye-opener of polycultural farm uh, farming and understanding economics of farming and how the seasons uh, keep the lights on. So we were growing your early, mid, and late season uh, cultivars to harvest at particular times. And not only that, well, before that was the cherries, and then before that was the plums. And th these were all methods to engage with the way rural community of Armada, Michigan, um, that, you know, is thankfully close enough to Detroit that um, people could uh, come out and have a taste of the farm life before, uh, every fall um, and anywhere in between there because there wasn't a whole lot to go visit other than that. Um, <laughs> great antiquing in Romeo um, but if that wasn't your bag then you were either going up north through a different way or um, coming there for the the pumpkins and the the, the cider that I was there for um, so that was um, 
really what set the seed for how I'm approaching um, my work now mm -hmm. and what my goals, I guess, are now. Um, and funny enough, it's the, the beverage on the table uh, is is the same in the sense of trying to engage the person across from me, not alienate the person across from me, you know? Um, so like cider, I mean, historically was the poor man's beverage. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> being the guy and holding up to my end of the deal, and not caring about the money of it, I suppose I was fine with being the poor man out of the deal. And um, there was an awful lot of us that if I was able to engage them in a more thoughtful way, could open their eyes to, you know, why this farm can be special and like why we're growing these different things. And yes, we have a fruit stand and yes, you can come here and pick your own. and. But like, here's why it's unique, because I can change this quasi simple beverage into something that is really opening your eyes and saying, oh, well, I didn't know that the plums could taste this way. And like, oh, like, I was just thinking cherries would be for my pies. And like, I was never even doing anything with the tart cherries. Like, so now I, I it gave me a couple more um, colors to play with, uh, and I think that was a big eye opener about because um, I had heard <laughs> Maggie or any of the other uh, number of uh, cultish winemakers talk about how unique and special this vineyard or that vineyard uh, was or wasn't. But I didn't really understand how um, that color palette could uh, really change how you engage with the finished product. Mm -hmm. And so that, that kind of set that tone and that seed. Because yes, in stores, like we had multiple different vineyard sources, but we didn't have all that, like instead of showcasing the vineyard sources per se, we had more different varietals. And we weren't mixing the Syrah with the Pinot or the Chardonnay with the Pinot or the Riesling with the Chardonnay or anything like that. We just had different things to offer. It wasn't really trying to... And that's a blanket statement because yes, we, we had different blocks of the Pinot and, mm -hmm. but it, 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 I didn't have a full uh, focus to that that I, I suppose I do now mm -hmm. you know um, yeah so I mean this keeps just going with that sort of thread is that is this still answering your question <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure I guess it is. the question the question was like after Davis yeah so like this has been long-winded it's, wow. it's definitely it's definitely after Davis right <laughs> um, so yeah that was um, how cider uh, got integrated and into, but it, it hasn't, it didn't change the interest and the focus because then it just started changing uh, how I, I thought about it. And like, 
oh, well, you know, what about uh, farming this orchard uh, can I engage with in my understanding of pruning and my understanding of ripening patterns and understanding of um, disease pressure and how, I mean, because you're dealing with a whole different uh, set of problems, right? And I that was a big uh, education piece too, which was humbling because it was like, oh, I was so dogmatic in my understanding of viticulture that I wasn't paying attention to half of the sense of just a healthy plant. And how is this plant reacting to what now I understand to just being a nutrient deficiency? And so it's manifesting itself through these challenges that in turn we're only engaging with with a spray program and the only way that we can you know uh make it better or uh worse or whatever is if we spray more like that's the only way we can go organic because then now we're gonna have to be on the tractor more did you want to be on the tractor more because we don't because we don't want to pay for it and i'm like oh right what a bummer and like now, in hindsight, I'm like, no, if you, if you were able to shift that uh, spray program to engage with those nutrient deficiencies, rather than just uh, engage with the disease or the, the virus or whatever it is, it would start to bring those returns. But, I mean, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, can you, right? And so, a rather, in terms of dogma, I mean, it's just as bad as anybody going down the, the biodynamic road and just being just stuck in that, um, in my view. Like, it's healthier, I suppose, the biodynamic and the organic, but it's still kind of like, um, if if you're just staying static in an unstatic sort of, realm well then it's it's still um not building the health of the ecosystem and that'll all tie into people too and how you're the what you're selling to people and like what they're eating and you know how you and educate them because a lot of that education would probably lead to more sales right but i i gotta give them credit i mean they've been running the farm for you know 70 and like as a family and uh, over a thousand acres that is really impressive with a uh, an annual influx of thousands of folks that you have to manage with you know kids from school or whoever you can find to work the registers I mean you're you're just trying to find whatever relief valve you can and if you can make the dollars work um in in one way well you can so it's kind of a choose your battles um sort of thing and it's not like all the fruit was rotten or all of it was gross or anything like that it was just open my eyes to one a polycultural sense of 
running an establishment and I knew that I had to dig further and that I knew I knew it wasn't just a, a spray program that's keeping all these things at bay mm-hmm. I knew that it was because here I am growing stuff in my garden and I'm not having to do any of that and like I have these other apple trees that I see that are wild that were uh, quote unquote neglected I'm not seeing any of this pressure here and so how how is that how is that happening and how is that uh, how could I make an orchard get to that point where it's in its quote unquote natural state now I mean it's still going to grow all the way up there and now what kind of ladders am I going to get to get the teeny fruit up there but the point was just the health of um, that ecosystem yeah so at what point so you're, you're in Michigan now and, uh-huh. you, and you got, you've got cider added to the kind of repertoire mm-hmm. so at what point does Oregon become the next step in the process well I I would be remiss if I didn't say I'd, I'd always been rather obsessed with Oregon um and for really no other reason than it just uh, it was making some of my favorite it was producing some of my favorite wines that I could find and like I mean back in 06 I could get a bottle of Antique Terra for 35 bucks not the buck 50 that it is now right and so with the same I mean she's still she was still doing the same things to a degree focusing right and so like I knew that there was like a flavor there and I couldn't I never found it anywhere else and that like there was plenty other flavors but I I knew I wasn't gonna go work in Burgundy per se and I knew I wasn't gonna go you know work in um, any of these other places where I liked the flavors it just seemed like I knew I wanted to be obviously domestic so um and having friends up here and like every chance i could uh visited here and visited different wineries and um i got accepted for jobs but again they were like well yeah we can keep you for two months and then and and i i just couldn't stop i couldn't figure how that could work i'm like well what am I gonna do? Oh shit! Then I'm gonna have to go into the service industry, and that's not gonna fly. Like I'm not the do you need more mayonnaise guy, you know? Like it's not. <laughs> so I uh, I always had it in my head, and the body of knowledge that seemed to be coming out of Oregon was a lot more vast than what I could find on California. Like it seemed like. Um, the the folks up here were really genuinely trying to broadcast information like as soon as they found it they were like share it because old boy down the road he's gonna be stuck and if we can't get him up we're never going to beat the animal that is California and never gonna get over that hump so like we're dealing with all these rains, we're dealing with these hot summers, we're dealing with these rootstocks that we thought were good, we're dealing with all of these aspects of, you know, 
Dundee versus Carlton versus, you know, uh, the Shalem Mountains and how are we going to engage this? And I thought it was so rewarding to have those pieces of knowledge at my fingertips and just none of it was gospel and none of it was like the the way and um but it seemed to be the way of engaging as an industry and like even now like there's so many cool things that have been fully engaged with that I uh, I don't hear about as much and maybe because it's blinders but I, I don't hear about as much in California um, I, I really feel that people are engaging with the farming here in Oregon so much more um, not thoughtfully because it's not like the Californians aren't or these other the other regions aren't the Washington people aren't but um, it seemed like that was getting out a lot more and uh, what's more, being uh, really engaged with the cider program, there was nowhere else that I could find genuine cider fruit, right? And so, like, I was going to these conferences or these get-togethers and tasting these different ciders and going, I have no idea how to get this. And I've gone through all the bags of powders. And I've tried all these different things, but, like, I can't for the life of me make it taste like authentic cider which is still who gives a shit because who was buying it right and that was just for my own edification so I knew that Oregon had a lot of those things and it was um, it was just more interesting and so Oregon we came out for um, my buddy's wedding uh, and uh my wife and I were just poking around out here and I was like we gotta we gotta give this a spin like uh, I've been I've been wanting an Oregon dream <laughs> for the longest time and I'm still having to convince her that it's a <laughs> the dream is real right um, and uh, so kind of make the leap uh, packed up the truck and put a trailer with my motorcycle and all my books in there and that was it like um we sold our house in romeo and again to my lovely wife's credit sold it kit and caboodle so they 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 bought all the furniture they bought it they bought everything because it, it looked as lovely as uh, she made it um so lucked out for sure in that regard and um uh, I'll forever be indebted for the leap of faith that uh, she took on my quote-unquote dream because I, I it's certainly a work in progress but it wasn't like uh, we got here and it was like well no wonder you were obsessed because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'll tell you the Pearl District of Portland is very different from the rural district of Michigan um, so that that was a that was a definite challenge, um, but um, to your to your question, the the Orion thing was really kicking around because I was using it as a real big frame of reference and like, oh, um, 
this is this is going on over there and they're searching for these aspects of these ciders for this and like all the while here's Nick Gunn at the same things and he's he's like oh I'm a Mimi Castile is my wife and yeah we, we make cider too and I had no idea who Mimi was and I knew who Bethel Heights were um, but I was like oh Superman that's cool you're part of the family and lucky you you know you married into it nice work uh, uh, but it was just like in, in uh, passing like oh how was the harvest this year and like I have a background in wine and really we don't care what about the cider Robert right you're right you're right sorry I got off topic um no but two is great Nick's great um so those um those things were always there and it was just like how the hell am I gonna do it and thankfully now you know 10 years deep the industry has grown to an extent that you you can find opportunity that isn't so oh man just uh, a needle in a haystack in another haystack you know um too tiny and like um to the to the to their credit pioneers and so they they were like i can't pay you anything because i can't i'm not getting paid like how how, how's that gonna work and like so um but the leap of faith was good because um, it. Uh, I never would have met Matt Burson and gotten to work with him, Love and Squalor, and uh, you know John Groshow, who I swear is the Mister Rogers of our industry. I swear that guy's just a gem and just totally willing to help at any any time. Uh, just an open door for you know knowledge and understanding and then um vincent uh from vincent wine company also epic dude that um just wanted to learn and just wanted to engage with the best possible wine that he could make and humble as well just like uh, i'm just a fledgling here and i read about this and i interviewed a lot of people too and like wrote some stuff but i think this is good and i think i'm doing it right and that was really refreshing to see that and same with Matt and like to work with them and have that sort of there was none of this like oh it's this way and I you know if you don't follow this dogma then you know you're never gonna make the grade with it like everybody's just trying their own spin at things and is very open to to share with that and like not in the sense that like you know they're still making their style of wine and they still have a, a, a sense of how they make it and their style is very beholden to them but like it was really great to see that like well even if I got the same vineyard holdings that you got I wouldn't be making the same wine as you and like what's more is like I probably wouldn't get the same vineyards as you so like how you're engaging with it I, I probably won't and so it's just more of a philosophy and like how you want to engage with the project not not that it can only come from this vineyard or it can only be in this barrel or it can only be pressed this way and any of those things i think that's your uh role in the t word you know 
you engage with the terroir you become the the project and like let the project speak for itself and like i've always loved the sense of like um you know do things um technically well the the artistry will come if it's there or you'll just be making you know uh just you'll at least be doing the job and you'll at least be doing the work and maybe you weren't the the second coming but like you know the point is just just do the work do it properly do it well and like you'll be things will rise on their own you know like you'll you'll be surprised what what your input actually was or is if you pay attention you know and half the time i i always make the joke that i want to be the lazy winemaker which you know it is more of a joke than anything because it's lazy is not what you can't get away with lazy in the industry first and foremost and like it's just more of like hands off mm -hmm. as much as possible but what does that mean your hands are on at a different place and I, I again, the, going back to the, the farm aspect of it, I think it's, it's wine growing. And it's an abused term for sure, um, but it, it's genuine if you, if you engage with it genuinely, you know? Um, so getting the chance with that uh, to work with them opened a lot more doors to, and I mean, Portland at the time, uh, I shouldn't say at the time because I suppose it is what it is like but it's still let's let's go pre-pandemic if you will because I I've, we've only been here since 18 so there's a lot of vibrancy that like and neither my wife uh, nor I had um, lived in a quote-unquote city uh, let alone in like Portland's small in regards to, let's say, Seattle or, you know, San Francisco or any of these cities that I visited, New York, right? Um, but still, like, it, it, there was a vibrancy and a very kind of like, uh, it seemed to me like it was finally getting over the hurdle there where, you know, it, it thought that it was in the shadow of the Seattle uh, markets and the the restaurant scene and the the quality of the cooking and the you know all of that it seemed like we're on it now we got some solid solid restaurants and some really thoughtful uh craftsmen here mm -hmm. and, I, and i like that too like um again pre-pandemic because i i don't know now but like it seemed like any corner you turned down, somebody was making their craft version of anything. And then to like, some of it being interesting and some of it being like, really? Like, did that need a craft aspect, you know? But um, it still was like really vibrant with that sort of like bursting with creative energy anywhere you turned, let alone the wine industry and the whole like, at the time the, um, the natural wine craze was really, and, and it is still really big, but it, like it was, it was in its full throttle, you know? And like, um, that was really exciting to like, uh, open eyes and open doors and like, keep your wallet book fine, you know? Cause like a lot of those wines that you thought 
you liked, you could never touch unless you were invited to the who's who party or go to the restaurant and spend too much money and regret that. So this gave it way to like, oh, there's interesting wine anyway. And um, I liked, there was again, more of a communal feel to a lot of it. And like people were open about things and trying to, but then there was also the dogmatic people and like, no, you can't do it this way and you can't do it that way. It was just, it was an exciting time uh, to see that happening. Because again, like, I thought the biodynamics was the closest thing to a, a natural focus to things, you know? But it, I had no idea what Korean natural farming was or, you know, any of this. Well, at the time, what was starting to be the buzzword of regenerative agriculture or like, um, any of those things I had no idea what that what that meant like in regards to sustainable versus live versus organic or any of that so it was a big big world and like whoa and you just it was fun to hit the ground running because um everybody was was eager for the next place to open up because they just wanted to crowd that and like it was great. It was exciting to see everybody so, and I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I'm just like, I'm just working. Okay. Um, uh, but the, the gnaw of working in the vineyards um, led me to chase down, and literally probably chase down is, is the best accurate to work with uh, Jim at uh, JK Carrier, because he uh it was he was looking for uh someone um but he didn't he just wanted somebody to kind of pick rocks and do kind of grunt stuff and um my cv has this laundry list with a degree on it and all this stuff and he's like I you're not going to be the guy to that I'm looking for with this like you're looking more for like a winemaker thing so like I'm just looking for somebody to help out uh, getting dirt on their boots and stuff like that I'm like okay I get it and um, again followed up like months later like did you find your guy because I'm still interested and he's like oh okay okay and he was uh friends with he is friends with uh matt and matt had recommended me and um uh here i am crying into my beard of matt and going like he didn't even want me man <laughs> i thought you said you were friends with him and <laughs> matt's like dude i recommended this guy he, he, he you know fixed a bunch of stuff in the cellar you're looking for a handy fellow or whatever and Lo and behold, he, like I wasn't handy in the way that he was looking for, <laughs> you know, like um, I wasn't the guy who can fix the tractor sort of thing. And um, but I was the guy who could fix the air compressor and fix the, the clogged drain and fix the tank and stuff like that and understand those things. But um, <laughs> so he um, <laughs> 
took me on, uh, and it was great because at first it was just a uh, a one day a week, and just helping, and I was just tickled pink that I could be in the vineyard, and be there with kind of one of the heroes, right? Like I had known Jim's been around, right? And he's got he's definitely got a name for himself, and his wines are great and very. Um, very stylistic you know like very unique in his own right and so like I was just I was I hate to say fanboy but like a lot of these times when I meet the people that I was researching it's for so long about Oregon I'm sitting across from going like mm, <laughs> don't say something stupid don't say something stupid <laughs> you know and so Jim was definitely one of them and so he definitely has He's rigid in his ways, and um, he knows what he wants, uh, and that was exciting to, like, I knew that uh, he knew about the industry. I knew that he knew why he liked Temperance Hill. I knew he knew why, um, you know, Croft Vineyard was such a way, and, you know, he had worked with Maysera and like all these other like vineyards that I had only heard about and I could hear those stories now and like we could talk about it like, oh, well, it didn't work in my program because of this and now I had to thin down to these things and really I'm trying to get the Parrot Mountain property all the way up to speed so that I can, you know, just focus on this. And, you know, at that uh, wedding that my wife had gone to, I didn't know who he was, but uh, John Thomas was there and um, sat next to him. And he's like, yeah, I have a vineyard and like, it's just a small vineyard. And yeah, I make wine from it. And, uh, I like it because uh, I can just do all of it. And, you know, everybody always comes and they want to see how I do it. But I'm like, I just do it this way because it's small enough that I can do all of it. And that stuck with me. Um, and still has stuck with me. Um, and um, that's one of those wines, like, I don't even, I don't even, it's not even the wine that's the big deal. It's, it's the ethos mm -hmm. to it, the, the idea of it. And I, I think Jim um, had that same thing, right? He got a, he obviously got a bigger property. And um, the economies of scale tie into that right and so like now you can do different things and it's it's double-edged right like you choose your own adventure and so now you're gonna have to deal with all of these challenges because of the size of it and now you're gonna have to require having help and um you know uh, you can't be everywhere all at once and so that i think to him he wants to be everywhere at once he wants to do everything himself he, he like and uh, he picked it so he could get his hands dirty and then think about it and then like make a mistake and you know run into things and man the tractor and you know all of those things so like I liked being a part of those programs where it was just again hands on like no bullshit like none of like we aren't we aren't cutting the atom here and like another thing that was great about Jim is like no preciousness, nothing. Like it was, we opened some nice bottles of wine, but nobody was ever like, 
snapping pictures and being, ooh, like, whoa, I can't believe you opened this for me. Oh, my God. Like, it was never, and, like, if that happened, he'd be like, shut up. You know, really, we could put it, put it down. Let's go back to work sort of thing. Like, that was really, I, I, I loved that aspect about, it was just about the work. And, like, you know, uh no crying or you're fired sort of thing <laughs> so i mean challenges oh for sure um challenging individual for sure but like driven and focused and um passionate and there's no there's no denying his his devotion um and you know still really really thankful for that opportunity and then the pandemic hit and like jesus february versus july totally different world totally different world here we are at a biochar conference over in um i guess in the northern willamette valley um and uh everybody's still kind of making jokes about the make it having a mask on or not and like i was just stoked to be rubbing elbows with lauren isold who i know i i had known is a brilliant viticulturist and like um you know dan rinky's there and i'm like no way whenever i hear that guy speak i need to take out dictation just to garner all the knowledge from that guy um what's his name from minimus making really fun wines um you know it was great and like uh the take like afterward driving home and being like well what did you take away from that and what do you think about that and how could we integrate this into our compost program and like are we doing the compost right and like all of that like further engagement and then like you know i got the the simone book in french and i'm like we could bring this. We could look at this, you guys. Right? Do you speak French? No. Your daughter does. She can translate it, right? And <laughs> so, like, fumbling through that and going, like, we should prune this way. And, like, what about this? And we're looking for this. And, right? Is this right? Uh, and, like, get a block to, like, actually experiment with. And, like, man, um, having the world change in that certain way uh i certainly wasn't prepared for it it's not like yeah i got this you know like nobody nobody could tell could and you know part of it didn't the only thing that changed like we were still coming to work like it was just three of us and like the thankfully the work didn't change we still had to be out there in the vineyard and like obviously you be over there i'll be over here right and uh but you still have the news on when you're driving to work you still go home to your loved ones and you still go at the time we were living in uh west lynn and so like even though the grocery store was right across the street we didn't know when we could go in there. We didn't know what we could get from there. We didn't know what the neighbors were doing. We didn't know what the hell, if I could get gas. Like, 
any of those aspects were like a big like drain mm-hmm. on just people in general and it was palpable like it wasn't like people we're just gonna tough this out and like you know thankfully uh you know the government's taking care of us and like they know what's going on but like and it just kept spiraling you know as you know right so like all those things were really challenging to just keep the the ball turning Mm -hmm. keep the the train on the track because like what is going to happen for harvest what what like what are we are we even going to have a harvest how are we going to engage with the crew like the crew has to come out here and do these kind of heavy lifting like we're, we're here to spot check and take care of the seller but like man uh how how are we going to engage with them we don't know where they're coming from either and like all of that stuff it was just very challenging and then now all the restaurants close and like now your distribution channels change and now you're just yeah the whole the whole mentality changes and it's just uh challenging (laughs) to an already challenging situation and then you know we have a horrible set uh ah, horrible is a weird word because it we were excited for the vintage because it was going to be like one of those gangbuster, you know, knock it out of the park. Like, wow, I'm surprised that it looks this way. And wow, like some of the, you know, flavors that I'm seeing develop this way. And like, I don't, I don't quite know your site uh, versus another site, but like, I'm pretty stoked versus last harvest where like, you know, I, I was just learning it, but like, I'm, I'm really geeked about what this harvest is going to mean. You know, like I've been able to work on a compost program and I've never done that. And finally, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, engaged with this pruning method. I want to see how it goes because I was used to just spur pruning, right? I hadn't come into cane pruning and certainly not to the precision or let's say thoughtfulness of the Simone mm-hmm. uh, methodology. Um, so, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, real drag, real drag for sure. Um, and lo and behold, uh, the silver lining comes out of it. Who's looking for help? What? Rosa, what? They're always just taking Frenchies. Like, you can't get in there. Like, they're the the snobbiest of the snobby snobs, right? Which which isn't true, but again, to that like marketing sense of things, it's like, whoa, how much man. And it was also kind of like this ever evolving shifting thing that uh started from the Evening Land project and then shifted to this and then other people left and um you know, I listened to Ryan's talk and I was like, oh, that guy's on point. Uh, this will be really cool. And like, uh, shot it out there as a, maybe, <laughs> used to getting rejected at this point. So like, very surprised when I got the call back and like, really? <laughs> uh, so, 
met with Felipe, totally open, totally excited, still nervous about, he was very nervous about the pandemic and like, uh, very on top of, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to distance ourselves? How are we going to wear a mask? How are we going to, how are we going to do this? And, um, uh, aside from that, it was just like eye opener after eye opener after eye opener, just like what you guys are doing what and like I've thought about these things but you guys are actually pulling this off and I'd read about the Pedro fella cause Alice Faring had mentioned him and like I I was just knee deep in the whole semen thing and lo and behold you're having them come out how are you having them come out nobody can fly here what are you doing um so it was just like man like I've hit this like pinnacle of what I envisioned for my winemaking career to be mm-hmm. you know which is still like silly again like um, hanging on almost to a dogma right because their whole dogma is focused um, but like I'm not at the current place I'm not going to be I can get out there with a shovel Okay, but I'm going to be surprised if I can bring a backhoe in there and dig the soil pits. Not that it isn't important. Um, Their scale is a lot different than what I'm working with. But the focus and the ethos of it uh, was really exciting because I hadn't thought about how um, electroconductivity could... uh, influence uh vines and an ecosystem so much and so it took me down the rabbit hole of thinking of well it isn't it isn't nutrients that all these plants are uh growing from it's energy and it's that sort of um tie to that you know conductivity like all these plants are just antennas and like how are you tuning into those and then what's more is like how are you tuning into that vineyard and how are you parceling that off in order to make the best possible decision that you could Um, you're trying to gather as much information as you can first and then um, just stick to kind of traditional winemaking you know like harvest on freshness and uh be delicate about it don't don't abuse it um and uh i mean they have some capital behind them so like very nice tanks and you know all glycol jacketed and you can really dial in a heck of a lot but i would argue without that stuff uh they'd be making just as interesting of wines and certainly very uh honest and authentic uh which was really really great because it wasn't like we're natural or we're biodynamic or we're any of the above like natanya's focus was all about health of the vine and like um rehabilitation of taking over vineyards and rehabilitating them and like well how are you engaging with that and um 
it's nothing like I had thought of and nothing like we were practicing uh, anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all kind of straightforward. Like it wasn't, again, not splitting the atom. Like I have no doubt in my mind that Pedro Para is rather brilliant, but it's also like he's he's paying attention to rocks and he's paying attention to the geology and he's paying attention to kind of that science of things, but it's still leaving it up to you to uh, interpret those. And so I I really liked that aspect and that gave me a lot more confidence that I don't need to see what the necessarily the chemical analysis is of these things. Yes, I want to make sure that there's nutrients to my musts. Yes, I want to make sure that my sulfurs are correct. And but uh that's going to be variable because of the places that I would source from and your source uh, you're seeking these uh, particular vesicular basaltic uh, stones that are making this particular wine um, and it's certainly a unique wine but I know that I like other wines just as much and um, it can be engaged with just as much um, and that that was really rewarding about that experience that um, so much so that it was like you know what let's dive deep into something like this we're living in West Lynn I don't see where this is going to go I'm commuting an hour to McMinnville back and forth I'm exhausted you're not stoked because I'm never here so like um, let's do let's find something else and like I mean it was going so far as like oh the Finger Lakes are doing something interesting and like having um, that outside perspective so we had a fella from Spain and from uh, Chile best cellarman I have ever seen Oh my God, he put me to shame for sure. Like, I'm like, oh man, I thought I was pretty good. No, Um, he was on it. Um, But their perspectives about the industry and the other places certainly didn't have a, a deep dive into Chile, which again was ironic because it kind of started there. Um, But like, you know, one of the coolest takeaways I, I, I had from the whole Chilean sort of influence was um, that temple that they have over there in Santiago. The dude took something like 16 years, or I'm not positive if that's the right number, but like it was a singular focus to create a sacred place, right? And it was all just based on light movement. Um, and that that was really like tied in with this whole like digging pits and make, like parceling off the vineyard a certain way and like you know all of those things having all of that culminate it like it was 
it was really inspiring in that way that I was I'm looking at this all backwards and like focused on the the weirdest things like my spray program needs to be this way because I'm just paying attention to disease pressure and it's going to be based on how the weather is right now and oh shit did I pay attention to the weather today and like did we get up early enough and do we have enough of this that or the other thing and it's just like whoa 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 I gotta I need to reframe all of this and like get a sense of like what am I what am I trying to create with this and I it, it kept coming back to like a I guess a sacred space where like and that sacred space has everything in sync with each other and so like fi- like in the sense of that like that vineyard is a ton of different antennas that you you can tune into um that that now has been um kind of the focus Mm -hmm. yeah so tell us about botany then and and how it how it ties in to to all of this well to be fair i still need to mention um i mean well botany uh started as um oh we can take the you you don't you don't want to harvest the rest of this what what well it doesn't work in our program sure have a go really <laughs> oh, well great <laughs> I can finally prove to my wife that I actually can make wine and uh, not just work for work somewhere doing making the motions and like not necessarily being the head of state like we can do this babe <laughs> I'm telling you it's just so straightforward uh, <laughs> um, so that's where that uh, started and it evolved into like well how else are we I don't want it to just be this wine at the table I also like it to be well what else about a farm would be um, interesting to engage with and educate um, to get to go back to like huge inspiration was uh ironically Mimi because I didn't I didn't I say ironically because I didn't know who the hell she was and I didn't piece that together until much later and um she was one of the first ones that I met when I came out here trying to find something and she was just so open and um forthcoming about everything and just like her place was really nice I knew she was selling fruit to the who's who's and so like I knew she was on to something and like the more I heard her speak about what she was on to the more it was like oh right exactly that's exactly it it has nothing to do with this like luxury item it has everything to do with how you're engaging with an ecosystem including the people you bring into that ecosystem you know whether it be your table whether it be your house whether it be the holidays or the restaurants that you um you know engage with or whatever and so like finding um this uh, again testament to my wife who is obsessed with everything antique um and rightfully so uh very um dialed with um her aesthetic and 
kind of another singular vision sort of uh, individual in the, the world here. So um, I'm totally thankful for that sort of um, eye-opening sort of. I, I mean, I've been to antique shops and I've seen different houses, but like how you can engage with a place and like bring people to that, like man I mean Field of Dreams is one thing but as soon as we built it they they certainly came and they were certainly intrigued Um, and so I didn't want like like I can't grow a vineyard on here for anything to speak of but what can I grow I can grow vegetables I can grow flowers I can um, engage with um, a a fruit stand that was one of the first here in Salem like kind of rejuvenate that like um, as I had said before we we got the property out of a divorce and um, it just seemed like they picked up and left halfway in and so um, the original owners uh, no less the guy was in the Navy and retired and um, bought the farm um, and his wife he and his wife took care of the orchard and um, they were selling stuff and um, sadly they, they couldn't convince the um, next generation that it was worthwhile and so here we are and so kind of like it's a cool legacy you know, and I, I like that sense of um, carrying that torch to with integrity mm-hmm. and um, not just doing it rote, but like, you know, what kind of compost would be the best one? Okay, what if I do some research? Well, why is this compost good? And like, why, why should this be used? And when should this be used? And like, what are the critical points of plants growth in general and how can I engage with those and like you know um, kept coming back with different themes like worm composting the Johnson Sioux bioreactor and then like seeing those results and being able to test those and like getting um, actual tests that, that are real time rather than just kind of like snippets and like overarching more of like real time so that you can make definitive decisions mm-hmm. that um, won't waste and are truly engageable and can cut costs. So um, that was like, that was the impetus with it. And now, so I'm at, um, I'm taking care of the vineyard at Stangland and um, now making the wine as well. and. Um, in addition to that, to make all of this work, uh, running um, the smoke remediation uh, program with uh, Cascade Mobile Services, um, all in the guise of how can you engage with the industry a little bit more while keeping your eye on the prize and um, really dial in, like. Stanglin's small enough that I can do all of it, which is awesome um, because on the one hand, I, I'm, don't, get, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, <laughs> I, 
I don't have it all dialed, but here's a guy that's been doing it for, you know, he's been in it for longer than most. And uh, he's a guy I hope you connect with and interview because he's got some great stories and just just a lovely man, you know, and um, a good fit. And again, like finding those good fits and being surprised. <laughs> I come back to it. I, I got there and I'm like, I just engage. I'm like, oh, do you need help pruning? Because I'm, I'm really into this like pruning method, and I'm I, I'm trying to engage with it. And like, I was lucky enough to meet with um, the one rep from Simone, um and uh, get a little bit of a tutorial. And like, again, it's more of like a, an overarching philosophy than it is necessarily like, like it's all practical because obviously you're pruning, but it's just like. Uh, how you're engaging with it and how you're engaging with living tissue per se right and like what are you what are you actually doing we're not trying to focus on yield or anything like that we're focusing on living tissue of the vine and making sure that that's growing in the best possible way well that doesn't just tie in with pruning it ties in with your nutrient um, density of said plant and how that can mitigate any of your uh, disease pressures or your uh, insect pressures. And then what's more is how can I engage with the soil so that I can build up that fertility without having to do a lot of inputs. And it's small enough that I can do that and see the results. Um, I mean, but it's small enough that I'm losing the economies of scale. So it's again a trade-off but I couldn't ask for a better way to engage um, and like being just smitten with the Ola Hills like I've oh like I don't know like there's a lot of wine being made in uh, Oregon but it's the Ola Hills that has really captivated me and now we're working with five other sites um, some of them really high elevation, which is exciting, and also um, some of which are challenging. Like um, I went and visited uh, my one grower, and like, why are we only getting a ton and a half yield? I mean, that sounds cutesy from a marketing perspective, but it's all dangly and loose, and like, whoa, man, we could we could engage this a little bit further, and um, get you back up to speed. Not that we need to buy more grapes per se but like now you could potentially sell more grapes too and those interactions again grower relations is the coolest job you know so like having that come full circle is like really exciting and then being able to have a place where said barn could accommodate um a, a decent sized production that is <laughs> manageable um with all the other projects but not making it just so wine focused making it more holistically uh focused where we as a family of a dog and chickens can engage with a bigger community that we weren't a part of before but now can be um and still keep my passion and my wits and my knowledge growing with uh the wine industry um, and in a, foc 
a lot more focused way rather than like chasing down the the best job in the world with the best brand in the world with the fingers crossed outcome of them keeping me on for however long and another crisis not pushing me out the door because the owner needs to take care of his own family Mm -hmm. so now we can take care of it it's getting to the sense of the true sense of like sustainability and not just the marketed bastardized version of it you know like i don't even know what the hell that meant for that we're sustainably farmed what does, what does that mean like i would think the biodynamics with it being a cycle is a sustainable thing like you're saying like you're just well, you're able to keep a job or keep the thing going is that that's sustainable you kept the business going <laughs> all right yeah, I, I suppose that catches up to speed after Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that definitely caught up to speed. And it actually covers all the questions that I have for you. So <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything, anything I didn't ask or anything we should have covered? Or um, yeah. um, Well, you know, again... Uh, to the testament to this program that you're working on and the the collaborative spirit that I I do believe Oregon has I I hope that um, the more that this uh, takes place the more um, people kind of get out of the way of the um, like for instance like how many great chefs have a cookbook out there, right? That you could purchase for around, typically like 30 bucks. There's some nicer ones, sure, right? Now, <laughs> you get that cookbook. I have a bunch of them. I guarantee you I'm not as good of a chef as, you know, I I know it. Gabrielle Hamilton, he, amazing chef, right? There's no chance, and she's doing everything so simple. And that's her whole whole ethos, right? And then, like, folks like Dan Barber, who didn't really put out a cookbook. He put out an inspirational uh, manifesto that you're like, whoa, I'm so behind the curve with nutrient-dense food and, like, that whole sense of things of, like, how are we uh, leaving this to other people let alone taking care of the people that are here you know um i think it it's so short-sighted to think that um any of the projects that we're doing in the wine industry are like beholden or like you know like nobody's splitting the atom you know we're literally just taking care of vines and putting uh, liquid in a bottle and like all trying to make sure that we can keep a roof over our heads and so like i um it's out there um but i think we're stronger as a as a as a bigger populace which is really exciting to me because like i can't tell you how many resources that i rely on that are very open and um not nobody has the answers either it's not like they're like (laughs) open about it saying like well if you give me a thousand dollars yeah I'll tell you it's like (laughs) 
I don't know that that would necessarily work for right because one it's not going to work for my economics of my program and it's not going to work for uh, my site in particular because I'm only engaging in it this way like what about all these other aspects of my nutrient density versus my pruning method you know Th those things to me um, resonate more having that collaborative nature and there's a lot of resources out there that are there's a lot of knowledge um, we were literally yesterday uh, we went to <laughs> a garage sale chatted up people who had a blueberry farm and we already are talking about all the different uh, growing things that we're doing and like how to do it better and I found oh man I messed that up didn't I you know and I, I I'm like well it's green it's, it looks nice and but understanding those things and engaging with them further I think is really gonna keep pushing the industry further and make people a lot more aware of brand Oregon like and not being so much in the shadow of California that it has been for the longest time yeah absolutely well thank you so much for your time today for sharing your space and your stories with us sure all your great answers and we're gonna go and let you off the hook okay thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon wine history archive podcast and thank you to all our supporters partners donors and interviewees who have helped make our project a success be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years. <laughs>